Hello, you are tuned in to the Now Next podcast, navigating your meaningful now and your meaningful next. I'm one of your hosts, Mary Claire Kunkel, and it's just me today, but that's okay because our guest is going to make up for it because she's very great. We're talking about vocation, which we have defined on this podcast as any meaningful life-giving work for the world, and talking with Bree here about, you know, how vocation is happening in her life. So Bree, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Bree. I am your student body president, so that's a cool thing I do. Um, and I am a fourth year art therapy major with an African American studies minor. So that's a little bit about me. So you said that you are your student body president, meaning capital. So we're curious, why did you choose capital? Why did I choose capital? You know what's crazy is I don't even really remember because I chose it so long ago. I think I decided right before I turned 14 that this was where I wanted to go. And I just had my sights set on it and that was that was just that. That was going to be that. And my mom made me apply to one other school just to say I did it and I did that and I didn't really care to go there. Um, this was This was always where I wanted to be. What made it so special? Like, why did it capture your your eye? I think it was just the closely knit, I guess, kind of feel of it. And just that you walk around and you feel like everyone you encounter really is a friend of yours. It feels like a movie sometimes, just like walking around like, oh, good day, friend, you know. Um, so I, I loved that about it and just... Um, how genuinely like home it felt even from the first time I ever stepped foot on campus. Are you from around the Columbus area or how did you first interact with them? I am not. I am from the 330 Akron, Ohio, home of LeBron James. Um, So I did a little school searching and I knew I wanted to stay relatively close to home. At first, you know, I was young and wide-eyed and was like, oh, I want to go to Boston, I want to go to New York, and then I kind of got a little bit more practical about the sorts of things that I wanted and needed out of my collegiate experience. So then Capital came into the picture. So you mentioned that you are an art therapy major, and I know Capital is one of the only schools in the country that offers art therapy. Could you describe for the audience what exactly art therapy is because I know there's a lot of misconceptions. I, for a period of time in high school, wanted to be a music therapist and so I'm sure there's a lot of the things like, oh, you just play music for people and make them better and I know there's a lot more to it. Oh, you just draw with crazy people? That's the one we get (laughs) all the time. First of all, there are no crazy people. But no, it's a a very complex field um, and one that's very special. So essentially it is using art as you use any other therapeutic tool. So whereas a lot of people might be familiar with walking into a therapy session and doing traditional talk therapy, art therapy just adds that element of art making for a client as a way of release and of gaining information, you know, because there's a lot that you can uncover about a person's history or their thoughts or their feelings through the things that they draw. Uh, So we learn how to unpack all of that. How does art therapy bring meaning into your life and how do you see it bring meaning into other people's lives? As far as how it brings meaning into my life, I'm going to try to make a very long story a little shorter. I mean, I got (laughs) interested in counseling because my particular demographic racially, Black Americans are one of the... uh, demographics that's the furthest behind in terms of help seeking, you know, therapy and counseling and those sorts of things. And so that was why I originally wanted to get into kind of the psychology fields. 
And what makes art therapy so special is that I feel like it gives another outlet and another avenue for people to achieve comfort where this might be a very unfamiliar situation and a very unfamiliar practice for them. And so that gives my life a lot of meaning, being able to be a part of helping someone to become familiar with a process that is so incredibly beneficial. With art therapy, what have you found is the most powerful aspect of it? I think just the the processing that comes after a client finishes a piece and you're just sorting through what it means because it's not really our job to tell you what it means. That's a common misconception too. We're there to help you figure out what it means for you. There is no standard yellow means happy, blue means sad across the board. So I think that those conversations that can come out of making a piece and, and processing you know, why certain choices were made and why certain materials were used and those sorts of things can produce a lot of really beautiful insight. I want to go to art therapy now. It is so cool. It's my favorite thing. I remember there was a time when I was able to turn this into a project, but I was just kind of going through it. And so for a final for a philosophy course, I wrote poetry based off of what we were learning and had like corresponding like little paintings. And I'm not very good at art, but I love doing it and just listening to music and just that like tactile thing helping me just settle down and sort through my thoughts and converting like these lyrics, how I see them in my mind. I loved it. And then I haven't done it for like three years. See, and it's a really, it is a really therapeutic process. So my friends, my other AT friends laugh at me all the time because I I didn't do art in high school. I did, I went to visual and performing arts middle and high school, um, but I was a theater kid, right? I had never done visual art. And I still, outside of it being mandatory, do not do (laughs) visual art because I am not good at it. And we laugh about that all the time, that they have never seen an AT major who hates art so much. (laughs) But I think that there is a lot of power in just being able to sit and create, even if it doesn't look like what you want it to necessarily, or even if you feel like maybe I'm not that good at this, just the, the tactile element, like you were saying, and the sensory feedback of it all um, can be really spectacular. What are some of the things at Capital that you experienced or you learned both within art therapy and then also just like broad scale being a student that you didn't expect to experience or learn? So I'm very involved. Uh, anybody who's listening who knows me will will probably say that's an understatement. I am I am pretty involved. And so I always have been um, ever since I was little, you know, even the summers, I never sat at home for a summer. You know, I was always in horseback riding camp or the drama coalition or law camp or just any number of things. And so I've never been very good at sitting still. And I also have historically not always been the best at saying no and sticking to boundaries. And that's one thing that being at Capitol has taught me is that there's a million opportunities Uh, in this world and that a lot of them are amazing things to take advantage of, but that you, nobody can do everything, I think is one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning. I won't even say that I've learned because it's a work in progress, but probably one of the most beneficial. So we often hear about the ways that 
our identities intersect both on like a broad scale when people are talking about intersectionality and like politics, but also just everybody has different parts of who they are and, and different interests that all come together to make them just the person that they are. What are some of those intersections in your life that contribute to your vocation or your life-giving work? Well, I'm a woman and it's important to me to be in, even though, you know, allied health and uh, psychology are, are kind of a little sub pocket of the healthcare sphere. I love seeing women in healthcare. So I, that's important to me to be into that field. And I think it gives me a little bit of an edge. I've already said, you know, racially, um, it's important for me, especially to be in the positions that I'm seeking to be in because there are so few people who look like me in them. I think I looked at the most recent demographic report for the American Art Therapy Association and I think we are finally up to three, three percent of registered art therapists are black. Um, That's way too low. Three <laughs> percent. I know it's a very low figure. And I kind of the first time I read it, I was like, there's no way that this is right. But uh, alas, so I'm hoping to be one of the people to push that up just a little smidge higher. So. So people find meaning in many different religions and worldviews. How do you find a meaning or make meaning in your work in that like very practical like career way, but also just when you're walking around in the world being Brie, hanging out with friends? Okay, this is funny that you would ask that because uh, this is, is a little bit of a full circle thing with the religious angle that you all usually ask this from. So I was recently, I, I discovered uh, an evangelist in, in my denomination who was just a prolific speaker, right? Really powerful woman. And I was listening to a message that she was preaching and she said, you can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. And that I kind of can't stop thinking about it. It's very much been like an intrusive thought the past couple <laughs> days. And so I think though that, that maybe that resonated so much with me because part of me has always known that, right? And I've always really strived to make meaning out of my life by fostering positive relationships with people and by being a good influence on other people. If one day when I am no longer on this earth, someone has one fond memory of something nice that I said to them or, or something I gave them, whether it be a tangible thing or, or a piece of wisdom or any of that, then I have fulfilled my purpose. That's really beautiful. I, that, now I'm not going to stop thinking about that. <laughs> it kind of has just been on repeat in my head for the last like three or four days and I just kind of am like, wow, that was prolific. Are there any specific places in your life where you pay special attention to, you know, being a sermon in your actions that you've found or are thinking about more now that you want to do or anything like that? Definitely as I embrace this next leadership role as student government president, it's very important to me to kind of follow that adage and to be a, a a friend to people and to be someone that they can look to. I know that it's it's a little bit of a public position, right? And there's a, going to be a lot of people looking to me for various things. And I think that's an honor and a privilege, but it also is a humongous responsibility and one that I don't take lightly. So I think at the moment, that's the area that I'm most concerned with, making sure I'm fulfilling that in. You as a person, you kind of mentioned this already, are like very deeply rooted in your faith tradition. You also do a lot of activism and how your faith and that activism kind of 
both work together to be part of who you are and part of your vocation. Okay, well, I'm going to try not to give a TED Talk as much as I want to. Do it. That's what the podcast Uh, is for. (laughs) So it just, I feel like even coming outside of myself, right, and outside of my life and my experiences, that my particular faith tradition has always kind of been involved in social justice advocacy. I'm Pentecostal, Church of God in Christ, aka Kojic, one of the six or seven denominations that are generally what people are talking about when you hear them refer to the black church, um, all historically black denominations. And we've seen um, that these have been pillars in the community and in our nation as far as social justice advocacy. So it's kind of just, it's just in my blood, I guess, you know, it's just what you, it's just what you do. I mean, church has always been very intrinsically linked for me to action. I remember being a little girl and hearing my pastor preach about how we all needed to get out to the polls, you know, right before President Obama was elected the first time and and just stressing the importance of civic duty. So it's just kind of always been there. Is that part of the reason that you are involved in student government as well? Or am I just making a link where there isn't one? Well, I don't, I don't, think I knew that until you just said it, but I guess it makes a lot of, I think that makes a lot of sense. It just always has been part of who I am and who I hope to be, to be a leader and to be someone who is in those uh, high places, I guess. What is one thing that you wish people knew about the importance of therapy and faith and art and all of those things being wrapped up together and interacting with each other? I guess my biggest thing, kind of on the therapy and faith angle, is that therapy and God, the belief in God, the trust of God, the hope in God, are not mutually exclusive. I think particularly in the black church, I wrote a whole paper on this for my independent study. We have real problems with making that distinction where there is not one. And it's a it's a really prevalent issue within the church of that people, you know, feel very strongly that if you if you believe hard enough, if you pray hard enough, if you whatever practice dutifully enough, that you'll get through whatever it is and that you don't need therapy and it just simply is not true. It does not it does not work that way. And I really just I want people to know that God gave us therapists and the study of psychology and the gifts that are through that and I don't necessarily always understand how people could st- view that as a negative thing when it is, in my opinion, such a precious gift that we've been given people who are trained to understand the parts of ourselves that we don't even always understand. I totally agree with you. I started going to therapy like end of summer 2020, so it's been about a year now, and it just so happens that my therapist is also a Christian, and it's just been so wonderful when she kind of helps me sort through everything that's going on in my brain knows the psychology and like clinically what is happening in my mind but also can help me relate to it by pulling it back to a bible story and so i mean part of therapy is just like finding a good fit, but there are people out there where it's not just like the quote unquote Christian counseling where they like aren't certified, Mm -hmm. but like an actual certified therapist 
who can kind of like speak your language. I I also, um, I go to therapy. I want people to know that about me. I love talking about it and I love talking about it because I think that people in positions that I occupy don't always. And so I want people to know uh, that you can be successful and that you can uh, have the you know 50,000 things on my agenda that people have and still go to therapy. So let me start with that. I go to therapy, now you know. <laughs> um, my therapist was very instrumental in helping me refine God because I started going to therapy in a place and a time in my life where I was I was not great, you know? I was having a really difficult time uh, for a variety of reasons. The pastor of my church who had pastored my church for my entire life had just died and I did not know what to do and did not know where God was. And so that relationship that I had with my therapist helped me to sort through a lot of that, you know, inner turmoil. And that's why I say I just don't understand how anyone within the church could see that relationship or that profession or that practice as a bad thing when it brings believers back in some cases. The last question that we always ask people at the conclusion of the podcast is, what do you wish you knew about vocation as a kid? Oh, brother. I know, it's <laughs> a walker. Ah, that is, wow. <laughs> I wish I knew that I could do it because I think I worried a lot as a kid about whether or not I would be able to do all these things that I wanted to do. And so far, I've been very fortunate in that every major goal I've had, I have accomplished later, you know, throughout my collegiate career. Now, it may not have always been accomplished in the way that I first thought it might, um, and it may have changed shape a little bit and taken slightly different forms, but I can say that I'm genuinely happy and I wish I had known that that wasn't something I was going to need to worry about and that it would find me, I guess. I love that. That, you know, God's going to find a way to you bring know, you to it. Sometimes, you know, he shakes the bowl up a little bit <laughs> or, or, or stirs some things around when you maybe thought things were going to be still for a second. But, you know, the, the dust always settles. I love that. Well, thank you for chatting. Thank you for having me. I love podcasts. Like, wow. Right? Doesn't it feel kind of like fun recording one it it does i feel very npr right yes, now yes yes yeah. yes <laughs> well have a great great day and a great semester because you're our final episode kicking us off into great yonder wow well have a great semester everyone and i'll uh i'll i'll see you around if you know me you know the hair might look a little different but the smile always stays the same so come find me <laughs> all right thank you Bree. thank you Thanks to the generous Philip N. Knudsen Endowment and Lutheran Campus Ministries, Now Next is brought to you by the Center for Faith and Learning at Capital University. Your co-hosts are Drew Tucker and Mary Claire Kunkel, as well as your producer, it's me, Mary Claire Kunkel. And our seaworthy theme music is brought to you by Shane Ivers. Thanks for listening.